Who was Jesus? Was he God in the flesh? Or was he someone created like us? Today we know the answer. And we know it because early in the history of the church, around 300 years after Christ, this flooded the church with controversy. And in this episode, we dive into the controversy. We dive into why it happened, who was involved, and how they came to their conclusion. I'm Daniel Claussen, and this is Exploring Christianity. If you haven't already listened to the first part of the series, I would suggest you do so, either before or after you listen to this episode, because it gives some important background to the early church and one of the greatest controversies the church has ever seen. It sets the scene for the story today. Have you ever thought about the fact that it took 325 years after Christ before the church faced its first large controversy? In one sense, that is not a whole lot of time for something to grow so big as to affect the entire church. But, in another sense, that is a whole 325 years of unity, or so it seems. The reason I think it took 325 years to get to a significant controversy was mostly because the persecution Christians faced never truly allowed them to settle all the small disputes over interpretations of scripture. And then there was the emperor worship, which was the reason for most of their persecutions, and it provided a unifying cause for every Christian. They didn't have time to squabble. They were all united against emperor worship. That means it was a big deal for the emperor to become a Christian, not only for peace, but also for those differences of interpretation to be dealt with. Now it seemed Christians could finally get their act together and figure out what the Bible really said. Throughout those 300 years, they had combated the Gnostics who claimed to have special knowledge about God and believed that they had salvation by that special knowledge alone. The early Christians also had to deal with the Judaizers who claimed that the Levitical law still applied to Christians, and especially for their salvation. But now there was peace and a new controversy arose. And this is the part of the story where the bad guy makes his entrance. His name is Arius, and he believed that Christ was the first and greatest creation of God the Father. The problem is he wasn't the villain many make him out to be. He was a complicated villain. He was a guy with good intentions and bad theology. Arius was trying to be as biblical as possible. And when he read the Old Testament, the words of God in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 weighed heavily on him, that the Lord our God is one. How could one God be both the Father and the Son? So when Arius read the Gospel of John in the introduction of the Logos, he concluded that this word could not possibly be the same as God the Father. I really like how Nick Needham summarizes Arius' theology. He writes, According to Arius, the Son was the first and greatest of all that God had created. 
He was closer to God than all others and the rest of creation related to God through the Son. A belief in the deity of Christ, he felt, would mean that the Father and the Son were two gods, which contradicted the many statements in the Bible about God's oneness. End quote. Arius was a pastor in the great city of Alexandria, a city that resulted from the conquest of Alexander the Great, a city rich in books and intellectuals. The bishop of Alexandria, or we could say the man who oversaw Arius, was Alexander, and he had come to much different conclusions about the person of Jesus Christ. He believed Jesus was truly God. Now, since Alexander was the bishop in charge of Alexandria, he arranged for a number of bishops in the surrounding cities to help him depose Arius for heresy. But Arius didn't go quietly. He must have been proficient in marketing, because as history shows, he would gather support from the men with whom he studied theology, and he would spread his slogan with the use of messengers, and his slogan went like this, There once was a time when the sun was not. And he found most of his support in the eastern part of the church. And the reason for this was because the majority of Christians held a theologian by the name of Origen in high regard. Origen was probably one of the most brilliant thinkers of the early church, and he was martyred just over 50 years prior to this controversy. So that meant his teaching still weighed heavily on the minds of the people. Many modern historians have a love-hate relationship with Origen, not due to him helping the church during troubled times on one hand, but his heterodox theology on the other hand. He was brilliant, but it seems his study in philosophy clouded his understanding of the Bible. Origen taught concerning Christ that Jesus was divine, but not equal with God. He was a lesser deity. For the majority of Christians at the time, that was the accepted view of Christ. No one really challenged it. That is, except for Arius and Alexander. At least, their challenge to Origen's teaching. At least, their challenge to Origen's teaching became the most popular. Arius didn't like the idea of a lesser deity. Arius didn't like the idea of a lesser deity intruding the one and only God the Father. And Alexander, he didn't like Christ stripped of his rightful place in the Godhead. Oh, this is much better. Arius quickly gained an upper hand. <laughs> Arius quickly gained an upper hand among the masses because Alexander's teaching of Jesus is equal to God made it sound as though he believed there were two gods. And in light of Origen's teaching, that was much worse. That's much worse than Jesus being the first and greatest created being. All Arius had to do was point to the monotheism of scripture. Alexander, he had to prove that he was not teaching polytheism. If that were all there was to this debate, I don't know how much history would remember it. It was just a squabble between a pastor and his bishop, after all. 
But because of one person, this controversy hit mainstream. You could say it went viral, and it did so for the next 50 or so years. In steps Emperor Constantine. Here is the man responsible for all our modern conspiracy theories about Christianity being a religion created by man or Christianity having pagan roots, etc., etc. Whatever you believe about him, history tells us he converted to Christianity when he won an important battle after seeing a vision of the sign of the cross and putting that symbol on his army's armor. A lot of people take that to mean he converted to Christianity because of superstition, and there is definitely merit to that claim. However, he became deeply interested and involved in Christianity. And he felt it his duty as the emperor to mend any and all divisions in the church especially those between the East and the West. Now this was... Now this controversy over Christ was in full swing during... Now this controversy over Christ was in full swing during this time, so he called for a council of church bishops and elders to respond to the controversy between Arius and Alexander. This council was held in Nicaea in 325, and about 300 bishops attended it. One bishop from a Western church who believed, as Alexander did, that Jesus was truly God, had the most convincing argument for Constantine. And he called for a statement to be written that would declare the church's official position on this issue, and we know this today as the Creed of Nicaea. And the creed is basically the Apostles' Creed, but with an extra anti-Aryan theology added to it. The Apostles' Creed proclaims Christ in this way. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. The Creed of Nicaea adds this at the beginning. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence of the Father. I personally like the phrase, true God from true God, begotten, not made. It's punchy and it's to the point. And it gets to the heart of the issue, that Jesus is true God from true God, begotten or generated, not made. You would think this would settle the disagreement. However, those who still favored Origen's view of Christ regretted signing this document because of the last line of the creed that I read to you, of the same essence as the Father. 
In the Greek, the term they used was homoousios, which means of the same essence, of the same essence as the Father. The problem the originists had with this word was that it sounded too close to the idea of another heresy by Sibelius. Sibelius believed that God had three modes. That at one time he is the Father, at another time he is the Son, at another time he is the Spirit. We also know this as modalism. And on a side note, there is a really great video on YouTube by Lutheran Satire, where two Irishmen ask St. Patrick to explain the Trinity to them. It's funny, but it also gives a really great overview of this entire controversy, and I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. So here we have the originists beginning to think that the Nicenes are Sabellians. But that's not the only misunderstanding happening here. Because the originists preferred the Greek word homoiousios, which means of the similar essence, the Nicenes thought they were Arians. And this misunderstanding would carry on for the next 50 or so years. And it wasn't a small misunderstanding either. I think the best example we have is in the man who would replace Alexander as the Bishop of Alexandria, and his name was Athanasius. Athanasius devoted his entire life to this topic, to explaining the true deity and the true humanity of Christ, and he faced persecution for it. When Constantine died, his two sons took over. Constance ruled the West, and Constantius ruled the east. Constance in the west sided with the Nicenes, and Constantius in the east, he sided with the Arians. But Constance dies early, and Constantius defeats the western side of the empire. So now the entire empire is ruled by Constantius, who favors the Arians. And because of that, he deals harshly with the Nicenes, among whom Athanasius was one of the most prominent. Athanasius was banished numerous times, but he didn't waver. He never wavered in his commitment to the deity of Christ. Athanasius died a few years before the Council of Constantinople took place, and that was a very important council because there the emperor was pro-Nicene, and there, the Creed of Nicaea was codified in the church as Orthodox. Athanasius championed the deity of Christ in the East, while another, Hilary of Poitiers, championed his deity in the West. And these two, along with Gregory of Nazianzus and the two brothers Basil and Gregory of Nyssa, were the most influential early church fathers who helped steer the course of the church in the direction of Orthodoxy and faithful commitment to scripture. In the next history episode, we will discover what their arguments were for the deity of Christ and why they still matter for us today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exploring Christianity. For more great biblical content, visit thechristianexplorer.org.